Nashville Anthems, a podcast that looks into what makes 80s and 90s country music tick by dissecting one song at a time. I'm your host, a sandy-haired river boy named Melton McManerberry, and I want to thank the band Fiddler's Road for bringing us today's theme music. Today, Satellite Radio has taken us to the harder side of town, where it is, in fact, hard for a poor boy to find the money. That's right. Today's selection is Travis Stritt's 1990 hit, I'm Gonna Be Somebody. So if you haven't already, I hope you'll pause this podcast and give that song a close listen or two. And now let's get into it. Now if I asked you which song of the ones we've covered so far most resembles I'm Gonna Be Somebody, what would you say? Now think on that for a second. You know, I mentioned in that episode that The Devil Went Down to Georgia casts a long shadow over 80s and 90s country, and it didn't take us long to get to a concrete example of that influence. And why do I say that? Well, we'll get into some of the key features of this song and see if we can unpack some of those similarities. But first, let's give credit where credit is due. I'm Gonna Be Somebody was written not by Travis Tritt, but by Jill Gallucci and Stuart Harris, each of whom also co-wrote some other Tritt favorites like Any More and Drift Off the Dream. Much like we mentioned with Garth Brooks, Travis Tritt wrote or co-wrote many of his hits. Uh, I'm Gonna Be Somebody happens not to be one of them. The song was recorded in 1989 and crossed the international decade line to be released in 1990. And I can't help but notice how clustered these selections have been the Satellite Radio's 80s and 90s country channel have been giving us. We've now had every year from 1990 to 1994, plus the one outlier from late 1979, but none strictly from the 80s and none from the late 90s either. I don't know if that's random chance or an indication that the early 90s was simply the most popular era for country music and thus gets played more on the radio. We shall see. I'm Gonna Be Somebody appears on Travis Tritt's debut album, Country Club. Of course, we all remember that song, right? And the song and the album were produced by Greg Brown. The song peaked at number two, held out of the top spot by... I always find this sort of thing interesting, to place these songs in their context. Shenandoah, next to you, next to me. That's a quaint little song that I hope we get to eventually. But now let's get into some key features of the song we are getting into, which is I'm Gonna Be Somebody. And let's see what makes this song tick, and where specifically and especially we may see some of that long shadow of Charlie Daniels that we talked about earlier. First off, this song is rootsy. The song has a simple chord progression. It just kind of bounces around between the one chord, the four chord, and the five chord. That's G, C, and D. The song's in the key of G, which is a very classic country key. And bouncing around those three chords, one, four, and five, is typical of country music and its simplicity. I kind of gave God Bless Texas a hard time about that, about being just a one, four, five song. But that three chords in the truth idea is a country cliche for a reason, and we're seeing it again on this song. And that progression isn't always exactly the same, but it does go in basically two-bar cycles with the chord changing every two beats. So sometimes you get one, five, four, five, and then back to one. And that's the basic repeating pattern of the verses. Bobby played his guitar on the harder side of town. Where it's hard. Or in the chorus, it's one, four, five. Then staying on five, two more beats, and then back to one. I'm gonna be somebody. One of these... I notice that in each case, the progression after those two bars always gets back to one. So one always starts this progression. The exception is that guitar solo in the middle starts on the four chord. But other than that, the song continually does two bar patterns, always returning to that G. That's part of what makes the song sound grounded and strong. It goes to that tonic chord, that one chord, often. and never really drifts very far away from it, but always finds its way back to that centerpiece and that center point. 
And contrast that with a song we looked at a couple of episodes ago, John Anderson's Seminole Wind. How we talked about in that episode how Seminole Wind is a relentless four-chord pattern, similar to how I'm Gonna Be Somebody goes in four-chord patterns. But in Seminole Wind, that tonic chord is in the middle of the progression rather than at the beginning. And that's why Seminole Wind, unlike I'm Gonna Be Somebody, sounded like it was kind of always seeking but never finding. Whereas I'm Gonna Be Somebody, because it always returns to that tonic chord, it resolves every fourth chord. It has a feeling of resolution not just musically speaking, but the protagonist of the song is resolved toward this dream. There is a little twist toward the end of the chorus that adds a little drama. The progression goes from one, four, five as usual, then instead of staying on that five chord for two more beats like it normally does, it lifts that bass note up from a D to a D sharp. It turns it into a B major chord over D sharp or its cousin, a D-sharp diminished, if you prefer, although Trit is singing a B there, so it's probably more properly a B chord. It just doesn't sound as cool to say B chord as it does D-sharp diminished. Either way, that chord is one that suggests drama and more twists to come in the progression. I'm gonna be somebody someday. As it generally leads to this chord, which would be an E minor, the 6 minor, especially since it's it's a split chord. It's not just a B, but a B over D sharp. But in fact, the progression doesn't do any of that. And a matter of fact, it goes right back to the 4 chord and finishes the chorus out. The drama is brief in this song. It's like time to get back to basics. Someday, you can bet your hard-earned dollar I will. And that makes sense with the lyrics of the song, because that odd chord, that B over D sharp chord, appears in the lyrics, I'm going to be somebody someday, that someday. And that's maybe the most dramatic and most dreamy lyric in the song. And so there go the chords, kind of getting off the beaten path a little bit. But because this song is dreamy, but intended to be sort of a relatable way, it quickly goes back to those familiar chords and back to essentially the hard work the plotting work that the song does to get to this goal that the dreamer is dreaming. So in other words, it doesn't stray far from that 1, 4, and 5 rootsy stuff that it's doing, either in the music or in the ideas and themes and lyrics of the song. The track has a nice, steady, straight, kind of plotting groove. Tempo is kind of semi-slow. It's kind of a walking tempo. Now you contrast that with God Bless Texas and Seminole Wind, both of which were fast, driving, forward-leaning kind of grooves that implied motion. I'm going to be somebody's groove is more about slow, steady progress than about driving motion. It certainly matches the theme of the song, which we'll get to a little bit more momentarily. The instrument generally builds along the course of this track from a simple sparse beginning with just some heavy, groovy drums, very simple bass, and some acoustic rhythm guitar to quickly being joined by this lead electric guitar that is throughout the song after that first um, half of the first verse. In fact, there's, I think, two lead guitars or or electric rhythm guitar joins in some places as well. But the prominent thing is this lead electric guitar. It's playing all these tasty little licks in between the vocal lines. It's got an airy, twangy sort of timbre to it. I I think it's a Telecaster, which is kind of the chief electric guitar tool in the country music band Tool Chest. The sound of that guitar and the licks it's playing is a lot of what gives this song its particular flavor. He had dedication. He had the heart and soul. 
There's also fiddle and steel guitar in places on this song. The fiddle is added a lot of times to give the song additional texture. That first verse is two verses long. Essentially, it's a double verse. And if you notice, the fiddle doesn't come in until that second half, that doubled part, just to add some variety and add some texture to the song. He was born to play. People said, get a real job. There's even some harmonica in this song in parts. If you listen really closely in the chorus, I mean really closely, I almost missed this, you can hear some piano, especially it's pounding those bass notes on the left hand. It's adding some weight and texture to the chorus to differentiate it from the verses. It's very evocative in that regard to The Devil Went Down to Georgia, which also had a pounding, if you remember, pounding left hand on the bass. That was a lot of what made the song sound like it did. It was very prominent on The Devil Went Down to Georgia, and it's pretty buried in the mix on this song on I'm Going to Be Somebody. So I mentioned the sparseness of the instrumentation at the beginning, but really, despite this legion of instruments on this song, and there's a lot, the song does somehow manage to maintain a sparseness of groove, that that space around the instruments and around the vocal. And in that, it does remind me of Rodeo, I have to say. It feels like a tight band with everything intentionally in its place. But that sparseness in the groove gets plenty of space for Travis Tritt's soulful vocals. Tripp puts a gospel-y, blue-eyed soul into his singing, and he really belts it out on this song. I mean, toward the end, when he starts riffing a bit, it goes up to a high G and even up to an A, which is quite high for a man. The highest we've heard a male voice go up to so far by a pretty wide gap, actually. The previous highest was Garth Brooks sustaining that high E at the end of Rodeo, but Tritt goes four degrees higher than that to hit this A on I'm Gonna Be Somebody. He maintains his chest voice, too. He's really belting that A out. It's actually the highest note we've heard from a lead vocalist, period. It's actually even higher than Patty Loveless on How Can I Help You Say Goodbye. We talked in that episode about what a comfortable alto range that song is for her voice, and she gets up to and sustains a couple of G sharps, which is not particularly high for a woman, but it is the highest note in that song. So interestingly, Travis Tritt's A is even a half step higher than Loveless' G sharp. It's not an octave off or anything. It's it's in that same octave, and Tritt actually sings a half step higher than she does. So he's really belting it out. And this is he didn't chest voice, not head voice. So with that chest voice, he sings and sustains those high notes with a nice, gritty fullness of voice. It sounds soulful, and it sounds really great in his voice. So all that points to a major influence for Travis Tritt, and he is explicit about this in another song from the same album. That song is Put Some Drive in Your Country. Kind of ironic, Put Some Drive in Your Country. This song really doesn't have that much of a drive. It has more of a walk. This is Put Some Walk in Your Country. But what Tritt is really saying in Put Some Drive in Your Country, as he says it out loud, is that he's interested in blending country music with southern rock, and it's very apparent in this song. Tritt's vocals sound like Greg Allman or Ronnie Van Zant, right? The rootsy groove that we talked about, it sounds like something that might be in Sweet Home Alabama or in Simple Man. Even the instrumentation with those layered guitars and those multiple guitars, it once again points to Leonard Skinner, the Allman Brothers. If you remember, those bands had multiple guitars, often dueling with one another, layered on top of each other. And the piano also evokes Southern rock, as we mentioned before, and we talked about The Devil Went Down to Georgia. But for all that, Tritt is not a Southern rock artist. He really is doing what he said. He is melding two genres. He's melding Southern rock and country. So in addition to those Southern rock elements, as we mentioned, he includes fiddle, He includes steel guitar and even includes harmonica, some more traditional country elements. So with that, with the rootsy sound of that song, we move on to 
really the lyrical theme of the song and the subject matter that it's tackling. So this song is a celebration of individual, bootstrap-pulling, hard-working, American dream-embracing grit. And that's against opposition. So these are naysayers. There are people who don't get it in this song, who think that the protagonist should, oh, I don't know, think about his family and not just himself, be a little more realistic about how duties, responsibilities, and probability figure into some of these things that he's dreaming about. First, let's talk about the adversity aspect. So once again, like The Devil Went Down to Georgia, this song is about a battle of sorts. And it's not a battle for Bobby's, not Johnny's this time, but Bobby's soul. But it is almost that. I mean, the stakes as presented in this song are high. Bobby seems to have gone all in, if you will, on this dream, such that even his family's welfare is on the line. He refers to his dream for victory as breaking these chains. Presumably he's referring to the poverty he was born into on this harder side of town that he's from, and in which he has to play his guitar. And Bobby's, it is hard not to say Johnny's, Bobby's antagonists here is not the devil, but rather these naysayers from the town who tell him he should get a real job and support his family and give up on his dream. So what was Bobby's reaction to that negativity, if you will? It's perfect blue-collar focus. As the song says, he never said a word. The dreamer just kept on. So you don't engage the naysayers, right? Now, the naysayers aren't worth your time because the pursuit of this dream is ultra-focused, it's ultra-single-minded, and it's ultra-individual. So note, too, that the chorus does seem to be addressing naysayers, right? Despite the words, he never said a word. Well, what does the chorus say if he's never saying a word? I mean, to whom is Bobby announcing that he's going to be somebody, right? Well, it's interesting. I mean, the way it's narrated, he's really doing it to the air. He's not saying... I'm going to be somebody to the naysayers. Rather, he's saying it to himself once the naysayers have moved on. And his announcement is just simply overheard by the speaker in the song. Bobby is so individual that he refused to address others, but addresses them to himself when they are not there. That means the address isn't really to change their minds, but to remind himself not to listen to them. So on that subject of individualism, note here, there is no team here. There is no band even. He seems to be a solo artist. No input even from his family that we're aware of. Not even any naysayers when he does speak. This is solo Bobby versus the world. And that's those rootsy bootstrap pulling values that feel southern rocky, as we talked about a lot in the Devil Went Down to Georgia episode. But it's more than that. It's more than just a celebration of rootsy, bootstrap-pulling individual effort. It's a celebration of those things. It's a celebration of individual achievement. But this song really crosses the line from realism into idealism. And how do we see that? Why do I say that? Well, we just mentioned his family, right? But really, I mean, where is Bobby's wife in this? We assume he has one with kids too, presumably because the naysayers were telling him he should support his family with what kind of a job? A real job, not an idealistic job, not an ideal job like the one he's pursuing in show business and as a singer, but a real job. So does his wife get a vote in all this? Does she support this all-in dream chasing or is she one of the naysayers? Is he even listening to her enough to know? And the answer is we the listener have no idea. We have no idea where his wife and family are in all this except that they're being affected by it based on what the naysayers are saying. So I mean, did Bobby really have to go all in on this dream, right? Why wouldn't Bobby just pursue his dream on the weekends while supporting his family with a non-dream day job? I mean, here I am doing this podcast, right? 
I do this on the weekends. I do it in the evenings. This is not my day job. Not that this is a dream I'm necessarily chasing, but the old adage, don't quit your day job, applies. I mean, isn't that the more standard way of doing this, of chasing one's dream and of doing what one loves? Didn't Travis Tritt himself do that? Another thing that I say makes it idealistic, the hard work is not narrated in this song. Did you notice that? Bobby essentially makes the choice to pursue this dream in the first verse, and then we fast forward 10 years in the second verse, and he's number one on the stage and radio. So the song is three verses, and the first verse is a double verse. If you will, it's four verses. At the beginning of verse three, so the verse after the double verse, Bobby has already made it to the top within the second line of that verse. So what did that hard work actually look like? I mean, all we know is that the road was hard, but in that one word, you have multitudes, right? What does 10 years of a hard road really look like for someone who is pursuing a dream like this with this single-minded purpose? Who has a family? How was he making ends meet? Was his wife working two jobs while he chased his dream? How did they eat? Did they get to massive debt? If they started out on the hardest side of town for the first verse, did they eventually have to move to the hardest? side of town? And these kinds of questions are the kinds of questions you would have to ask in real life, right? But here's the thing. This song is not about real life. For all its rootsiness and groundedness, I'm going to be somebody is idealistic. How did he and we the listeners know from the first verse that Bobby was going to make it? It tells you. He had all the ingredients. He had dedication. He had heart and soul. And he had the confidence that this was his destiny because, as the song says, he somehow knew he was born to play. So that goes back to that rootsy reaction we talked about earlier, right? He never said a word. The dreamer just kept on. So it's like there was always something higher, something greater on Bobby's side, at least from his perspective. The idea there seems to be not that God had simply called Bobby to sing and that he was obeying God's call and chasing this dream. I think it's less passive than that. It's more that God had teed Bobby up to be a big star and expected Bobby to take it from there. Those kind of values I think the song is embracing, for better or for worse, agree or disagree, right? So another little telltale sign of this song's idealism. Did you notice the last line of the chorus? It doesn't say what it sounds like. It doesn't say the familiar idiom that you'd expect, which is, you can bet your bottom dollar I will. Instead, that dollar is hard-earned. All right, so maybe this is just me, but I have never heard the expression, bet your hard-earned dollar outside of Travis Tritt's I'm going to be somebody. If you have, write in and let me know, but as far as I can tell, this expression is unique to this song. What I have heard is the expression, bet your bottom dollar, which of course just means your last bit of money at the bottom of the pile, i.e. all of your money. But that's not what I'm going to be somebody says. And I'm going to speculate a bit here, but it actually sounds to me like this lyric may have originally been bottom dollar and was changed at some point to hard-earned dollar. I mean, even if that's not the case, if it wasn't changed, we can at least say it's a noticeable reach of word choice versus the more obvious bottom dollar. And for that reason, it seems to be deliberate. And and why, right? Because in the idealistic bootstrap-pulling world of this song, money is hard-earned. We don't bet money that someone just gave us that we inherited, that we played the stock market to get. No, no, no. In this world, in this value system, not just Bobby, but everybody, even the naysayers Bobby is apostrophizing, earn their dollars. Now, that is some of the kind of idealistic mindset that the song seems to have. Notice, too, on the subject of idealism, what Bobby's victory looks like. All right, by the third verse, or it's the fourth verse, if you count the first verse is two verses. Anyway, the fourth stanza. Bobby is not only a big star, but he is back where? Back in his hometown, which 
I guess must be gentrified now because big stars are doing concerts there. Anyway, he is playing for an adoring audience of, you guessed it, the very naysayers from the first verse. Plus one more starry-eyed dreamer in the front row, right, as Bobby passes these bootstrap-pulling values on to the next generation. But let's contrast that scene and that reaction with a song from a decade later, where another protagonist makes it big despite some hometown naysayers. The song I'm talking about is Toby Keith's How Do You Like Me Now, a song that drips with bitter sarcasm, basically going out of its way to visit that same hometown and those same naysayers and lift its middle finger to them. But I'm going to be somebody doesn't do that. Because of his idealism, it's really the polar opposite of anything sarcastic or ironic. And I know I talk about that concept a lot, the concept of irony or lack thereof in these songs. I mean, what can I say? I'm a Gen Xer, and we look for irony under every rock. But my fellow Gen Xers and I will seek irony in vain on this song because it's not there. Just like with the rodeo, the single-minded adoration and purpose of the protagonist is unquestioned and simply enjoyed, and I'm going to be somebody. The song doesn't really even criticize the naysayers like How Do You Like Me Now does, and more to the point, it doesn't present Bobby's idealistic American dream in any way that invites a critical eye. We as the listeners are supposed to be on Bobby's, still hard not to call him Johnny, on Bobby's side against the devil that is the naysayers in this battle. And when he wins, we're invited to join the sandy-haired river boy in the front row and just sing along. So the song puts a nice little button on this feel-good story with this super satisfying walk down after Travis' soulful tag about still betting that hard-earned dollar. So even a two minor chord in there, just for good measure. A nice little bonus chord. I appreciate their mixing it up there at the very end for us. Let's recap. We talked about some key features of I'm Gonna Be Somebody. First off, the song is rootsy. We talked about the instrumentation and some of the simplicity of chords, how those uh, evoke southern rock kind of roots, but also combined with country, which we know is Travis Tritt's explicit purpose in his music. He does pull that off here. We talked about how the song is a celebration of individual bootstrap-pulling, hard-work, American dream-embracing grit against opposition, these naysayers, and even to the point of idealism as it kind of ignores and glosses over some important details about what hard work over these 10 years would look like, real-life details about how one's family really is supported, the naysayers have a point here. Those types of questions simply aren't asked because the song is coming from an idealistic point of view. And we talked about, within that idealism, how that's the kind of opposite of the sarcasm that you might see in a later song like How Do You Like Me Now, where rather than rubbing his victory in, even as Johnny did at the end of The Devil Went Down to Georgia, rather Bobby simply embraces the adoration of his hometown fans, naysayers turned fans, and everybody lives happily ever after. So we find that I'm going to be somebody, as pretty much all of our songs so far have, simply invites you to take it or leave it on its own terms. All right, maybe you agree with my take on I'm Gonna Be Somebody. Maybe you disagree. Maybe you have some nuance that you'd like to tease out. I'd love to hear from you. You can write me at MiltonMcMainerberry at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Instagram. Let's engage. Maybe we can mutually enrich our experience of exploring this music. So with that said, now we're going to see what song we're going to be looking at in our next episode. I'm going to pull up Satellite Radio's 80s and 90s country station right now and see what's playing. Ah, we have Garth Brooks again. The song is... Ain't going down till the sun comes up. All right, see you in two weeks, and we'll look into that driving, fast-paced, harmonica-fueled song. I'll be back then, and you can bet your hard-earned dollar on that. I gotta go. I got some rice cooking in the microwave. 